Welcome to the weekly service message from the Crossbridge Church. Look for us on the web at www.crossbridgeny.org. Join us now as Pastor Nate Young delivers this week's message. Open up your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We're continuing our series in Genesis today. Uh, We'll be looking at Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9. Um, when our kids were little, they used to like watching me work on projects. Um, One time in particular, when we had purchased our first home in Missouri, there was a lot of things that needed to be done to the home uh, that that I had to do. Um, And one time when I was working at our home, Logan was, was very little. Uh, and he was walking in and through the house, and he came into the room where I was trying to install a a ceiling fan. Now, real quick, you need to to get over all the safety concerns of letting a young toddler walk in a room while I'm working on a ceiling fan. Maybe not the wisest thing, I admit. But I was already on the ladder. I'd already wired up the ceiling fan, and I was trying to put it in place. Logan came into the room to watch what I was doing. And and to be right honest, at this point, it wasn't going according to plan. I thought I'd installed everything properly, but it wasn't going into place like I thought it was supposed to. And as I was trying to get the ceiling fan into place, little Logan is down below instructing me on how to get the job done. At the time, he was only a toddler, so he was speaking to me in toddler language. And I was getting very frustrated. To make matters worse, at that moment, I noticed Logan, while he is babbling at me, decided to pick up a screwdriver. He's holding it by the metal end with a handle on the other, and he's walking around the room waving this screwdriver. He notices in the box was still the glass globe that goes over the light. And as he's babbling at me, he walks towards the light and decides that the screwdriver is an appropriate drumstick on which to play the ceiling fan glass. Now, at this moment, I could have blamed this babbling toddler for distracting me, for breaking the glass, But the the issue wasn't my child. The issue was that I didn't have a clear plan, and obviously, men, you know what I did with the instructions from the ceiling fan. As soon as I opened the box, I threw them directly in the trash. The issue wasn't the babbling toddler. The issue was I didn't have a clear plan, and I didn't follow the instructions. But thank the Lord that he does. In fact, his plan is so clear that our babble, our plan, doesn't confuse the plan of God. You see, many times we've tried to do things our way. We rationalize our behavior. We might even enlist the help of others in our disobedience to God. But God can always meet our desires better than we can and he will always accomplish his plan. 
I'd like to invite you this time to stand with me, if you're able, for reading from the Word of God. Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 says this. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down there, confuse their language, so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them from there over the face of the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This is a reading from the Word of God. You may be seated. It's important to note, as we get into this particular passage, that Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations, the nations that descended from Noah, and the beginning of Genesis chapter 11 follow a pattern that's common in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, there is an outline of how God created the world, and Genesis chapter 2 is an explanation of the event after the event. In a sense, this is what's happening here. In Genesis chapter 10, God outlines for us all the different nations that are scattered around the world. And Genesis chapter 11 explains to us how that happened. But what we're going to find in this particular text, one of the first points that we're going to see is that man-made religion is actually, in fact, disobedience to God's commands. And here's something that that I want to relay to you immediately out of this particular text, and I'll, I'll explain it to you in a moment. Here's the truth from this particular text. You can't reach God by your works. You can't reach God by your works. And in fact, when you try to reach God on your own terms, what you will find is a wrathful God who will reject your works. Let me explain that from the passage. What we find right away in the beginning of this text is that there is across the whole earth only one language. The whole language has, or the whole earth has one language. And this group of people who have one language have now started to move east to a place in verse 2 that's called Shinar. Now, if you mark in your Bible and you make notes or make notes in your Bible, you need to make sure that you highlight this particular place. It's going to repeat itself in the text as we go through Genesis. But what you need to know and what's important for our topic today is that this is a place that that becomes known as Babylon or or Babylonia, the Babylonian Empire. We've already seen this place mentioned once before in Genesis chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, when discussing Nimrod, who's a mighty hunter before the Lord. It says that his kingdom was Babel, or the beginning of his kingdom was Babel. 
in the land of Shinar. But we're going to see it again later in Genesis chapter 14, verse 1, when Abraham goes to rescue Lot, one of the kings that he goes to battle against is the king of Shinar. So this becomes a very important location in the story of Genesis. Not only are what we're going to find is that you can't reach God by your own works, what we're going to see is that God won't bless disobedience. So let me show you what I mean by that. In this particular text, there are four sets of triplet words. There are four sets of words that are tied together that get us to the main point of what's happening in the text. The, word is, the words are said is repeated three times. The word come is repeated three times. The word build or built is repeated three times. And then the word dispersed or scattered is repeated three times. They're meant to mirror each other in this particular text. But what we notice from the particular text right away is that the first two said and come, and one of the builds are said by the people. They call each other, they come together to get supplies and build a tower. And in building the tower, they're attempting to do three things. One, build a tower to the heavens. Two, make a name for themselves, and three, prevent themselves from being scattered. Now, don't forget what God has called mankind to do twice now. Twice, he has commanded them to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth. But what we find in this particular text is that the word come, let us, that phrase come, let us, is in the imperatival form, which means that when these people speak to each other, they are calling each other to do what they think is the most important. They believe the most important thing is to build this tower to make a name for themselves that reaches the heavens and prevents them from being scattered. This is an important detail in this particular passage. Because especially this idea of building a tower that is, its top is in the heavens, and remember, I mentioned that this is part of the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonians used this particular setting, this particular idea of building something that goes up to the heavens, to even build their temples in the future. The idea is here that they've built something, they've constructed something in such a way that they've reached the dwelling place of God. What they're trying to do is to get to some sort of God on their own terms. And the middle of what they're trying to do tells us what they're really after. At the end of the day, it's not so much about them getting to God as it is making a name for themselves. You see, what happens when we have man-made religion is that the religion becomes less about God and more about me. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to see this referred to as idolatry. The central idol of man-made religion is me. That's what's being worked towards here. Let's make a name for ourselves, which I, I think is humorous. And, and if you don't appreciate the sarcasm of God sometimes, I don't, I don't know what to tell you, but... They want to make a name for themselves, and the place ends up being called Babel. You want to make a name for yourself? 
It's not going to work out like you think it's going to. But God speaks, and he sees what mankind is doing. And he does the very thing that they were trying to prevent. You see, here's the other truth in this passage. Not only can you not reach God on your own terms, God will not, he will not bless disobedience. This is the point in the text where where it's easy to, to start to think how foolish these people are for trying to build a tower that would reach to God, that they would try to prevent God from doing the very thing that he commanded them to do, that that they would try to build a name for themselves and push God to the side and exalt themselves. But, But brothers and sisters, it's necessary for us at this moment to ask ourselves two questions. Am I trying to approach God on my own terms? Do I know the Bible well enough to know how to approach God in the way that he commands? Now, here's the other piece of this. It's the beginning of the new year. Many of us set New Year's goals, New Year's resolutions. Oftentimes, though, we do that without consulting the Word of God to make sure that our plans are aligned with the will of God. And we're doing things, potentially I am doing things or you are doing things right now, that is in open disobedience to God, and you are frustrated because he's not blessing your plans. That is the second question that we must ask. Am I trying to approach God on his terms? Or am I trying to get God to bless my disobedience? You see, here, here's the second point and one of the big truths of this particular text in verses 5 through 8. All of the desires that you are trying to meet in approaching God on your terms or getting him to bless your disobedience, God has the ability to meet on his own. You see, God meets all of our religious desires. Here's what I mean by this. Herman Bavinck in his systematic theology says it this way. The human religious quest, we have said, comes down to three basic desires. A longing for a God who is near, a God who communicates to us, and a God who is strong enough to deliver. If you boil down every human pursuit of religion, it boils down, in a sense, to these three things. And I think that's exactly what they're attempting to do in this text. They're trying to find their own way to accomplish these things, and what they find is that God can't, the God they need can't be reached, but in fact, he himself has to come down to them. And that's what we find in the text here in verse 5. They have come together to build a name for themselves. They've come together to build a great city in direct contradiction to what God has called them to do, and they want to be exalted above God. But in verse 5, it tells us the Lord comes down to see the city and the tower. You see, God must condescend to us. He must come down to us for us to have a relationship with him. But, But if we don't approach him on his terms, he comes sometimes to us in punishment. 
And let's not get confused here about what's happening. God is coming down to these people to practice or to execute judgment upon them for what they have done. Again, this will be a continual theme that we see in the book of Genesis. In just a few chapters in Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 and 21, it says, Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have all done all altogether according to the outcry that has come up to me. And if not, I will know. Sometimes God approaches in punishment. But thank the Lord, that is not always how he approaches. Because sometimes he comes down, sometimes he approaches in salvation. You see, when when you come to God on his terms, what you find is a God who is merciful and full of grace. We see this start to unfold all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, but continues on throughout in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 14, or chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which is so familiar to During the Advent season, it says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. Do you remember what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. That God himself would come down from heaven and he would be amongst us. God would come to us. We're reminded of this in Matthew chapter 1, verses 20 and 23. Joseph is speaking about him here. It says, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now, there's something very interesting in this particular passage that that I want to endeavor to address with you today. It happens in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 11. And it's very important that we understand correctly what's happening here, lest we get a view of God that's not correct to how he's represented in the Scripture. Genesis chapter 11, verse 6 says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is the only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible to them. If we look at this particular passage and and we read these particular words, we might start to get the impression that God is actually afraid of what they're doing. That God's concerned about this tower that they're building only being the beginning of what they will purpose to do. Let me just tell you that, that God's not afraid of them. God's not afraid of you. God's not afraid of anything that even all of humanity could do together collectively. Remember with me Psalm chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. 
Psalm chapter 2, verses 4 through 6 says, He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. We have to understand that God is not afraid of humans, nor can humans do nothing that is, in a sense, outside of the plan of God. This is one of the most amazing things that we'll see in this particular text, that, that they have to build the tower in order that we get to experience the different languages and cultures that we get to experience today. Not only is he not afraid of what they're doing, what they're doing fits perfectly into his plan. Now, I'll say more of that in a minute. The emphasis here is that God comes down to us. God comes down to us. He fulfills this need that all of us feel in our religious pursuits to have a God that is close. Now, not only does God come down to us, not only is he close to us, he speaks to us. We've seen this multiple times already in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, God speaks to Adam in a blessing, and then in in chapter 3, in a curse at the fall of man. In Genesis chapter 9, just two chapters ago, God speaks to Noah and blesses him and gives him instruction. And God is still speaking to us today, but let me say to you that he speaks to us through his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 is a passage that's not unfamiliar to you if you've been around here any amount of time. It says this, All scripture is breathed by God or breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man, the person of God, may be complete, equipped for every good work. In today's day and age, all that you need to hear from God comes from his word. Everything that you need to know about who God is and what he calls us to comes from his word. Now, can I be honest with you a second? Because there's a lot of confusion out there now about how God speaks to us. I would love for God to just come down and speak to me uh, while I'm sitting in my office. And he sits, actually, we would probably trade chairs, right? He, I would sit on the other side and he would sit in the comfy chair and we would have a cup of coffee together and he would, he would talk to me. That would be a lot easier. One of the reasons that I, I think People have such a hard time, I have such a hard time in today's day and age knowing what is the plan of God. It's because I've not done the work to know the word of God. If you want to hear from God, if you want to hear what his plan is for your life, if you want to hear what he is like, open his word. Study his word. Know his word, and you will know the God of the universe. Not only does he come down to be with us, not only does he speak to us, friends, he delivers on his words. Now, the significance of what's happening here in this particular um, passage can't be lost on us. Think about it this way. If God's words have the power to create the universe then God has the power to deliver on any and all of the promises he has given by his word. God, through the ages, has been delivering on his word. 
He has given promises to his people that he has fulfilled and is fulfilling. But the greatest promise ever given was, was given back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. In the curse that happens there in Genesis 3.15, he says these words, speaking to the devil. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In our particular, uh, in our class this morning, we were talking about the inductive uh, Bible study. One of the things that was mentioned, and I, I, I think it's so important to notice in Genesis chapter 3, is that the devil is always working a plan that is contrary to God's plan. The devil is always trying to do something in culture, in society, in the world around us to work out a plan that is different than God's plan. And understand clearly with me, that is what is happening here. That the devil is trying to use a people of one language to bring about doing the opposite of what God has called them to do. Now, we joke several times in my class about putting our tinfoil hats on and talking about how far this goes with the Bilderberg Group and, and all of these other folks, government, World Economic Forum, whatever else you want to throw in there. But understand that the devil is always working a plan that is contrary to the plan of God. But we have to understand that God has made a promise all the way back in Genesis 3.15 that he will fulfill and he is fulfilling. The promise is that one day there will be one who puts to death the devil, sin, and death. And God has delivered on that promise. He has sent Jesus down to come and live a perfect life so that we could die a perfect death, so that we could be forgiven, or he could die a perfect death so that we could be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life with God. If God didn't deliver on any other promises and only that one, he would be worthy of our worship. But he has delivered on promise after promise after promise. He is a God who is near. He is a God who speaks to us. And he is a God who delivers on his word. One of the most interesting things to me out of this particular passage, I alluded to it before, but, but I want to spend a little bit more time talking about it now. Here's my third and final point out of verse 9. God's plan for humanity includes diversity. In a very real sense, we may see the conflict between nations start with language. And all of the struggle that, that we're experiencing around the world, in some sense, could have precipitated from this particular passage. As the languages are confused, here's a weird thought, and maybe why the, the conflict started. He confuses the languages, and I wonder, did he do it in pockets? Does he confuse all the Latin speakers over here and all the English speakers and all the German speakers over here? Or does he just confuse all of them intermoosed with each other, and then they've got to find each other? Could you imagine how frustrating that experience would be? If you've ever been to a foreign country and you've tried to communicate with someone who doesn't speak the language that you speak, I already don't like them, right, right away. 
But, but now you have a whole world in which the languages are confused, and you've got to align with your people. And in an instant, in a single act, God, who speaks the universe into existence, causes the diversity of humanity with their words. What happens in that moment, Bavink again to quote him, isolation and intensification of language differences lead to intellectual and spiritual decline. We see right away in this passage, they, they no longer continue to build the mighty tower that they had started on. And this is something else I find comical in this passage. They're taking the very things that God created to make bricks and mortar to try to reach and obtain the God who made the stuff they're using. There's a decline. And in a very real sense, they, they no longer have a direct communication and a knowledge of the God of the Bible as they're scattered. And as I said before, in, the efforts, in their efforts, they cause the opposite of the very thing they were attempting to do. But this single act of God caused the diversity that we get the privilege of experiencing every week when we gather as Christ's church, made up of many different people from many different backgrounds. Do you see the amazing thing that God has done in the person and work of Jesus Christ? He takes people who were divided by language and culture and region, and he brings them back together under the banner of Jesus Christ. That, that a people that was once divided and scattered around the world now gets to come together and love each other as brothers because of the God who comes down, who speaks to us and meets our every need, delivers on every word. And all part, this is all part of God's plan to bring around Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, listen to this, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, crying out with loud voice, salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Brothers and sisters, our babble, our attempt to worship God on our own terms, our attempt to bring about idolatrous man-made religion will not thwart the plan of God. He will draw together for himself a people from every group, and he's doing it even now. We must believe this is true if we're investing in worldwide missions to see the gospel go to every corner of the world, to see what God has bring and is bringing about in the Revelation when he brings together all those who are no longer divided by nation or language or, or creed or color, but are united under the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a glorious thing it will be to see the plan of God 
continue to unfold and to unfold in this way. But in the meantime, until Christ returns, until we see the final unfolding of his plan, we must not be on the same plan as the world and the devil. I have wondered that in the building of the tower, what was Satan really after? Was he after the tower or was he after the division of people? What was he after? But thank God for Jesus Christ who brings us all back together under the banner of his cross. Let me just say to you, friend, if you're here today or you're watching online and you've been attempting to approach God on your own terms, if you've been attempting to use your own good works to try to get to God, this text reminds us that that will not work. That the only way to get to God is for him to come down to us and for him to give us a way to approach him upon his own terms, and he has done that through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that if you desire a relationship with God, you, you must repent of your sins and turn to God and receive the forgiveness that he has given us through Jesus Christ. This is the way that we approach God on, on his terms. Today can be the day that, that you find this God that you so long to have relationship with. Because he has come down to us and made a way for us to have relationship with him. But brothers and sisters, I must ask you again, we must do a serious evaluation to make sure that we are not living in disobedience to God, not attempting to approach God on my own terms, but that I know his word and that I am attempting to be obedient to his word through the power of the Holy Spirit in such a way to bring God glory above all else. Take this next week and do some serious evaluation about the trajectory of your life, what you're after, what you're pursuing. Are you seeking after the God of the Bible, or are you seeking an idol of your own making? Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this incredible reminder from your word that it is so easy to fall into the trap of thinking that we can approach you on our own terms and that we can do whatever we desire without there being any kind of consequences. But Lord, help us to be reminded that in your grace and mercy, you have made a better way. You have made the only way by which we can know you. We can have relationship with you. We can have all of our needs and desires met in you. And it's through the God that came down with us, Jesus, our Savior. Lord, help us to never take this truth for granted. Help us to cling to Jesus Christ as our only means of salvation. And out of this gratefulness for you coming down to us, that we would desire to bring you glory by being obedient to your word. 
Help us to know your word in increasing desire. Help our, our desires to be more formed to your word. Lord, we, we look forward to the day in which this promise that you have made to put to death sin, Satan, and, and death itself. But until that day happens, when you bring us home and you glorify us and we spend eternity with you, help us to be faithful. Help us to stay true to your word and to pursue after you in righteousness. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us. Please feel free to share this message, but remember, don't charge for it or change it. The Lord's message should be free and for everyone.